My name's Sai. I'm one of the, the leaders here, and it's good to be speaking to you this week. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in the age of the internet and the media, and they're constantly bombarding us with celebrities and uh, personality types by you know, and by implication, they're saying, you should be like this person, or you should be like this person. And yet we actually live in an age where people are more confused about who they should be and what they should be like than anybody else. If you've um, been in management, or even lots of companies do this anyway these days, you, you may have uh, been subjected to, or you know, may have enjoyed doing it, some personality type tests. Even at school, and if you do business at school and that sort of thing, they'll, they'll do these tests on you. And that you know, sort of tells you what sort of personality type you are and what traits are there. Things like Myers-Briggs, or the, the DISC assessment, or the Winslow profile, um, and there's, there's many others. I'm sure some of you will have, have done them. And the thing about these assessments is they are they're quite useful, but uh, in, in, in sort of pointing out some common uh, behavior traits, but also as useful as they are, they're not so useful because they miss out a whole section of what you're like. If we uh, go on to the next uh, couple of uh, slides, just uh, the next one and the next one. That's it. Um, so if you think of it this way, you kind of represent that oval shape. You're an oval, you're not a true circle because we're inconsistent in character. A true circle would be represented by God who is, is perfect, he's perfectly in all his ways. He doesn't change, he's completely consistent. You see, and what these tests are doing on you through studies and uh, sort of common personalities is they're trying to square the circle and therefore they describe bits of you that you're like, or they um, may go too far and describe you in a way that you're not like. So if you're going to like that. So that, that's what they're doing sometimes. So that's why if you've ever done any of those tests, you sort of think, oh yeah, I like that. I understand that bit. But that's, that's not quite right uh, for me. And the reason I'm going on about this is because actually when it comes to theology, we are doing the same thing with God, with God himself. Last week you had triangles and arrows. This week we've got circles and squares. We're back to basic, guys. It's the beginning of the school term, so you know it's good to, to start simple. You see, theological concepts and systematic theology work in the straight lines of logic. And we have to go to the Bible, obviously, for what we believe. It's only, it's only truly... Uh, Christian if it's biblical and based on the Bible. But you have to be careful as you study scripture, because of our simplicity, we can end up making God smaller than he is in our mind. We have a little God box. Or we can take uh, some other concepts and actually make God what he is not and start describing him as ways that he, that he, he doesn't act. Through much study and greater capacity of mind, you may be able to do better than a, a square and get a hexagon in there, you know, and have, you know, sort of understand more of what God is like. But the more points of reference that you have, actually the harder it is to, to, to keep in your mind. So why am I telling you this? The reason I'm telling you this is you have to carefully develop 
your understanding of God, which is good, and it's the right thing to do. But you need to accept, as you're doing it, that you are trying to square the circle of the person of God. God isn't a subject. He is a person. And you enjoy the wonderful truths that Scripture teaches us and makes clear about God, but you reluctantly make if statements about God. Do you understand what I mean by an if statement? An if statement that says, if this is true, then that must equal that. So, for example, if Southampton win tomorrow, who loses? Brighton. They probably won't, Paul. Southampton aren't looking very threatening, so I won't worry about it. But that's an if statement. And it, it works when things are simple, but it doesn't work when things get more complicated. You take a, a war situation. Oh, if these guys are right, that makes these guys the baddies, yes? Not always. It's more complicated than that. And when you come to the things of God, whose person is greater than you can understand and whose ways are higher than your ways, you have to come humbly and you have to come uh, in a worshipful and respectful way. The Apostle Paul dressing, addressing this very issue in the Corinthian church, where the Corinthians were al- aligning themselves in different theological camps behind their different leaders. After addressing it, Paul writes this, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. My friends, we have to be careful when we come to the things of God not to go beyond what is written. And it's important when we come to a book like Ephesians, where Coleridge, writing on the book of Ephesians, says it's the divinest composition of man. Now, all scripture is is God-breathed, but I get what he's saying. There's so much theology packed into this book. We have to be careful that we don't make lots of issues. Oh, if this is true, that must mean that. But we come humbly and we come respectfully uh, to this book and we worship off the back of it. So let's read what is one of the most densely packed theological and beautiful words ever written. 202 words in the Greek, what I'm about to read. don't know what it is in the English. I've read that in a book somewhere. I didn't bother counting in the English. Anyway, makes me sound clever, doesn't it? I'm not really. Um, Anyway, verse 3 of uh, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We've heard a lot about that this morning, haven't we? In the love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, 
things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. What great verses. There's so much in there. I'm only going to scratch the the surface of this. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book that's over 300 pages just on chapter 1 of uh, of Ephesians. It's got that much in there. We see how God has chosen you in Christ and adopted you into his family. He's redeemed you with a purpose, and he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your eternal inheritance to come. Many theologians subdivide this, uh, uh, these 11 verses into three sections, each ending to the praise of his glorious grace or to the praise of his glory. As you can see there, uh, the, an oversimplification of it is where it says, oh, well, the first bit, verses 4 to 6, is looking at what the Father does. The second bit, 7 to 12, is looking at what the Son does. And the third bit is looking at what the Holy Spirit does, all to the praise of their glory, because it's all ultimately about the glory of God. But that would be an oversimplification. Hendrickson, writing on it, says, actually, the first bit is more about how God has blessed us in Christ in eternity past. The second bit is how God is blessing us in Christ here and now. And the third bit is about how God is going to bless us in the future. But certainly what is true, in each section, Paul is un, un, you know, so unpacking the blessings that each one of us has received in Christ. So let's look at, at this great letter and at these great words. The first bit is we are chosen for adoption. Chosen predestined. Elsewhere in scripture, it uses the word God's elect, his chosen. Paul writes this in Romans 8, verse 29 to 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should laugh. You see, the Bible's very clear. God is not passive in our salvation. He is active. God is the initiator of our salvation. God is the provider of our salvation, and he is the sustainer of our salvation in him. The wonderful truth is, my friends, if you're a believer here this morning, is that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He said, yes, I'll have that one there. You thought you chose him, and in a way you did choose him, but you were only responding to what the Holy Spirit was already doing in your life. My friends, You are not insignificant here this morning. You're not unimportant. Even if your parents didn't want you, 
The Bible says God wanted you. And he chose you for purpose. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He loves you and wants to pour out his love on you. Note that all those passages that I read in this passage in Ephesians, we are chosen or predestined with a purpose, chosen to be holy and blameless, predestined to be adopted into his family or conformed to the image of his son. Jesus says, I've chosen you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last for all eternity. Do you realize, my friends, the blessed position that you are in this morning in Christ Jesus. You're not a Christian by accident or by design, but your heavenly Father wanted you before the foundation of the world. He chose you. He, be- to, he wanted you to belong to him, to be part of his family and to bear his family likeness in love and in holiness. Or to put it another way, as scripture does, for you to be like Christ Jesus. Calvin said that the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men may become the sons of God. It's great, isn't it? The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men may become the sons of God. True for ladies too. She's just not so snappy as uh, if you include sons and daughters. And, uh, but anyway, it's true for you ladies too. Uh, he was writing a long time ago. Adoption in the Roman world was actually a really common practice. And it was more significant than it is today. It was a permanent thing, a thing of honor and blessing. Your past debts, your past deeds, even your past life under Roman law was considered no more. You were a new person, adopted into a higher state than you would have been before. Otherwise, you wouldn't have chosen to get get adopted in that sense. You wouldn't have allowed it to happen. And my friends, that is true for us in Christ. When you turn to Jesus, or when you turn to Jesus, if you haven't done it already this morning, your past shame, your past debt, your past sin are cancelled. You were just the son of Adam before, but God will bring you in to make you a son or daughter of the living God. No wonder it's to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us, because he chose us before the foundation of the world. It's a gift of God towards us who believe. And when you put your faith in him, that also applies to you too. Do you know the Greek word there at the end of verse 6 where it says, we have been blessed in the beloved. The beloved is obviously the beloved son of the Father, Jesus Christ. But that word for blessed is a very specific word. It's the same word that the angel used when he spoke to Mary and said, oh, blessed one, or highly favored one. That's what it, what it means. It's privilege. You are so highly favored by God here this morning that he has gifted you with belonging to his family through your faith in Jesus Christ. Just let the truth of that Sink in. You're adopted into the very family of God. And this good news is what Jesus tells us needs to be proclaimed to every tribe, to every tongue, to every nation. So all can hear and have a chance to respond, to believe in Jesus and receive that blessing.
More could be said on these verses, but I, I need to move on. We are redeemed with purpose. If we scroll through Ruby onto the, onto the next one. There we go. We're redeemed with purpose. It's a gift. It's, it, it's, it, this favor on you and me is not because of us. Now, Anna, who was hosting here this morning, is my wife. And so many of you will know my wife and me. And many of you will have realized that I am batting well above my weight by being with uh, someone as beautiful as my wife, Anna, is. And don't kid yourself, I've always been this ugly, even when I was younger. I still had these ears, I still had this nose, and uh, it wasn't because I was attractive or something when I was younger. In fact, I, was, I just wasn't concerned with my appearance at all when I was younger. You may say, not much has changed, Si, but, uh, but anyway, <laughs> Anna's working on me. I'm a work in progress. You know, when we were about to date, when I was thinking of asking her out, and it was, you know, it was becoming obvious that that's what the way that was going to happen, Anna actually prayed to God. She said, she said, God, if you want me to date this guy, please, please, can he just have a new coat? I'll just put up with a new coat. Can he, have a, can he have a new coat? I mean, I know he works with the homeless people and all that sort of thing, but he doesn't have to look like one of them. Even they've got better clothes than, than, than him. So anyway, by some Holy Spirit-inspired miracle, I was walking down the street, and I got drawn into the TK Maxx discount store. And I went into this TK Maxx discount store, and I hate shopping, so you have to understand that. So it was a miracle. And there, calling out to me from the shelf, was this heavily reduced designer jacket. Oh, yes, that's what it was. And it was reduced because the arms were slightly wonky. But still... It was calling to me, and so I bought the jacket, went out with a jacket on like this, saw the woman of my dreams, and uh, got, got Anna, and she's regretted praying that prayer ever since. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, infinitely more than that example of where beauty gets beast, God redeemed us from our sins and our trespasses. There was no inner beauty or worth in you or in me that caused God to, to want to think, oh yes, I should have that one. We were enslaved to our sinful nature. We had come under the devil's authority because of our sin. We were objects of God's wrath. This is our position from birth because of our first parents. And don't blame them because we've only ever added to the problem, not helped the situation. Sin, the evil that lurks within each one of us, causes us to naturally be hostile towards God. It causes us to do things to other people that we're ashamed of. It causes, it causes damage in our relationships with our nearest and dearest. And it causes us to feel shame and sometimes even to hate ourselves. The Apostle Paul understood what it was to have the power of sin at work in our lives. He writes this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. This is the Apostle Paul. Wretched man, 
that I am. Who will deliver me from the body, this body of death? And of course, the answer is Christ Jesus. The beloved of God, in love, came to earth to redeem the unlovely. He came and lived a perfect life before God, choosing to die on a cross so that he can take on himself our sin, our shame, our mistakes. And then he could also, once he'd taken that from us, he could give us his righteousness, his goodness, his acceptance before God. He redeems us the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Some people here this morning, actually, you might need to do that here this morning. If that's you, can I just encourage you to pray along with me right now? Just pray this prayer in, in your heart. Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me of all that I have done that is wrong. And through your spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible says you believe in your heart, and that's what you're doing is you're praying that prayer, but you also confess with your mouth. Please come and speak to me afterwards if you prayed that prayer or to the person who brought you. We'd love to chat to you some more and, uh, and, and give you a, a Why Jesus book here this morning. But more than yours and mine, personal salvation, God's plan of redemption is much bigger than just you and me. It is to unite all things, it says in this passage, unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ's rule and under Christ's reign. All things were created and sustained by Christ. Colossians 1 makes clear. But actually, all things find their ultimate purpose in Christ Jesus as well. My friends, God's plan of salvation is much bigger than just you and me. It includes everything in the cosmos. Because the Bible says in Romans 8 that creation itself was subject to decay when mankind rebelled against God. And God wants you and he wants me to play our part in working out his redemption plan. Yes, it's through being good stewards of the planet that uh, God has given us. But remember, it is subject to decay until Christ returns. So don't abuse it, but don't get more distracted with saving the planet than you are about saving people. God wants you to be focused on saving people. For indeed, Christ will save this planet when the church fulfills the great commission of reaching every tribe, tongue, and nation. So be good stewards of what God's given you. You should be good stewards of that and of what's under your control. But give your life to winning men and women to Jesus. Because you have been redeemed with a purpose to play your part in God's plan. And notice this, uh, in this section it comes out, and I've pinched a little bit from the previous section and a bit before, but it says how that God works everything according to the purpose of his will. He makes known the mystery of his will. He works all things to the counsel of his will. Even where God He's pouring out his lavish grace on us. He's not just giving us a little bit. He's lavishing his grace on us. 
It's not done in a reckless way, but it's done with all wisdom and insight. Nowhere in the Bible are the actions of God ever described as cavalier, foolhardy, or reckless in any way. Even where the Apostle Paul is talking about the foolishness of the message of the cross or the foolishness of God, he, he, he prefixes that whole section by being very careful and writing, in wisdom, God, it pleased God to bring a message that was considered foolishness. My friends, don't, abscri- don't, don't ascribe carelessness, recklessness, or irresponsibility to the only one who is all-wise. Even if it is in catchy songs, it's bad theology and it's not true. So don't do it. Just, just get that out there. It's very clear from Ephesians 1. Finally, my friends, sealed for eternity. We've been sealed for eternity with the promised Holy Spirit. Chosen in eternity past. Redeemed for purpose here and now. And sealed with the promised Holy Spirit guaranteeing our future inheritance that awaits us. The Spirit who was promised in the Old Testament as a sign of God's eternal kingdom being established is given to convict you of your need for Christ. When you respond to Christ, he comes and lives inside of you. He then helps you to live for Christ. He transforms you into the image of Christ. And then he also seals you as a guarantee of your eternity that awaits you in Christ Jesus. It's why Jesus could say to his disciples that he goes to prepare a place for you. Or in John, uh, 1 John, John writes, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the only Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The immediate and direct work of the Holy Spirit is the defining mark of a true Christian. If you've got the Spirit at work in you, that is what defines you out and makes you a Christian. It was, was the heart's cry of the prophets of the Old Testament that God's people would have the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you that causes you to cry, Abba, Father, my Daddy. And he is a deposit, the foretaste of the glorious future that awaits us in, in God to the praise of his glory. This is what it means to have the Holy Spirit seal on you and on me. And there's, there's more that God wants you to experience as you go through life with him and through this life into all of eternity. There's more and more of the Holy Spirit that God wants you to enjoy. My friends, in, in conclusion, God has chosen you in Christ to be adopted in his family redeemed according to the purpose of his will and sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your eternal inheritance. All this is the praise of his glory. 
So I'm going to invite the band back up here. So I actually think the only appropriate way for us to finish this meeting is to finish in worship and in wonder at the wonderful God who has chosen you in eternity past, who has redeemed you according to a purpose and has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. All this we get in Christ and because of the death of Christ on his cross. So let's stand. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to the band. Father, thank you that you loved us so much, Lord God, that you sent your son to die for us, Lord God, so that we could be reconciled to you, that we could be redeemed from our current situation, Lord God, into your family, Lord God. We could be adopted into your family and have a glorious eternal future that awaits us, Lord God. Thank you that this wasn't a thing that you did begrudgingly, Lord God, but it's something you did willingly, something you did in all wisdom. And Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, even now as we worship you, Lord God, Father, would you pour out your spirit afresh, Lord God. Thank you that you want us to know more and more of your love, Lord God. It's not just uh, supposed to be head knowledge, Lord, it's called to be heart knowledge too. And Lord, as we worship you, as we thank you for what you have done for us, Lord Jesus, I pray, would you pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts afresh. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.